0: This is Ross Coulthard and you are listening to That UFO Podcast.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. Recording a breakdown as we enter the month of June 2022. Dan joins me of course. Dan, how are we?
0: I'm uh, great, thank you very much. It's a little human in the UK today. So we're, we're looking a little shiny on camera, but you know.
1: It's good to be I here. am in. I am in the hot box. As I said, I I barely can breathe. So if I pass out during this recording, Dan, I'll just take over and and go on from there. Um, <laughs> but speaking of hot off the press, Dan, uh, we have a. Right, it's not a book. I was going to say right off the bat, it's not a book. Um, You may have seen us post on social media yesterday. We've been quite quiet about it because we we don't shout about stuff or, or talk about it until these things are done. I mean, some of the things I could have mentioned this year, Dan, that never happened, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Sad face, tear down my... Sad face. Yeah. Keep that one <laughs> to for the future, though. To, to guess about, yeah. You never know. But anyway, um, what is happening is on the 1st of July, you'll be able to buy from all good booksellers, and some of the not-so-good ones, and just general booksellers, I don't know. Uh, the skies Above, A Guide to UFO Sightings in the UK. Now, like I said, it's not a book. Uh, some people got in touch and were like, oh, the Amazon listing says two pages. You might want to correct that. That is correct. It is two pages. I always joke that I would never write a book, Dan, and I, would, I might write a pamphlet or a leaflet sometimes, <laughs> and essentially that's what we've done. Um, we've been working on this, what, for five months, six months? Yeah, um, a while now local publisher Herb Lester, a small independent operation, very independent. Um we uh he reached out to us and asked if we would collaborate on a basically a, a sightings guide for the UK and what you've got if you order this, which so many of you have already which is amazing, for some reason it's number two in the UFO charts on Amazon. And it's it's awesome. awesome. Thank that's you ridiculous. so much everyone. <laughs> yeah that's ridiculous. Um the it's it's a map so it's a bit interactive, a bit niche, a bit quirky, which I think suits suits us as well. Um because no chance for writing a book and putting all that effort in, we don't have time for that at the minute, <laughs> but what we've done was research around 40, just over 40 cases that have happened in the UK, some of them going back to the 1200s, um, more of them much more recently uh, in terms of the 1900s and into the 2000s, and you'll have uh, one side is a map of the UK, beautifully illustrated, and you'll you'll see different sites in the uk where various different events have happened Rendlesham, Calvin, myself my own sightings dan's own sighting and yeah. and a few others obviously in there as well it looks really cool it's a lovely little gift to get for someone on the back of the map that folds out is it looks like an old newspaper article and it's split up into the paragraphs around one paragraph per case pretty much yeah and it tells you about an event the date the time and the very basics of what happened and where
0: yeah exactly and we put and, and that together dan yeah, that, that took a while to assemble. There, there were so many different sources. Um, you, you know, we went to the police database and various other places like that, and and we just found all the information we could and assembled it into a bunch of, like you say, forty cases. When you do see it, don't don't be disappointed if your favorite case isn't in there um we had I to make des- ten, some... ten t- <laughs> well we we basically had to make some decisions of which were the most compelling ones and you'll find some cases mentioned in uh other cases as in you know this general area has a lot of high strangeness um especially when it comes to kind of places like west wales there's just a lot that you wouldn't be able to fit on the map so if your favorite isn't there don't panic uh it'll kind of be in the description somewhere
1: the good news is my favourites and Dan's favourites are in there because we wrote it, so we got that to, pick those, <laughs> uh, which which was good. Um, but no, it was a lot of, a lot of fun to put together. A lot of work at times, uh, like literally late nights. And Dan, can you put this together and? correcting things and going away and fixing little bits and pieces. So hopefully you enjoy it. Um, It's it's due out on the 1st of July. So many of you have ordered already. You can order from Amazon, of course. Um, just for transparency, to help out a small independent publisher, it doesn't affect myself or Dan. We don't get any extra money or anything from it. And um, We got like a kind of small upfront fee and that was it, which is lovely for us, which was great. And um, We don't make more money if, if you buy the books from any different sites. However, if you wait until Monday, the the 6th of June and uh, you can order direct from herblester.com h e r b l e s t e r.com the link will be in the description and they benefit more from that than big companies like Amazon taking big chunks of the money and some of you have already reached out and asked how can I get a copy but not through Amazon because they don't like the big Company big corporate stuff and that's that's totally cool. However, you want to or can order it. Just getting a copy would be great, and I think it's one of those things that's an ideal
0: gift for someone with an interest in UFOs. Yeah, or- it's a little different, isn't it? Like I can't wait to put it on my wall. You know, it's I, I always love kind of the the idea of you know something just starting as a seed and then becoming a material thing that you can kind of hang and be satisfied with. So I, I can't wait to pop it up on on my wall, and I'll be ordering from Herb blaster Hopefully, we'll have some um, for the upcoming convention appearances as well. Um, so. You know, you you can find us there and hopefully pick up a copy.
1: Yeah, Dan will be turning up in his new Ferrari that he buys with the proceeds from the book. The um, mini children's ones, the ones with. Well, it's like, did I say Ferrari? Yeah. <laughs> I meant mega, mega bus. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> mega bus. Yeah, that's it. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll have some copies for to sell in Blackpool to people who want to pick those up. Um, but regardless, however, you can and pick it up, and yeah, it's it's cool. It was it was a lot of fun to do. And if this is a success, which I think already looks like it's it's going well, when it's only yeah. been kind of twelve to sixteen hours that it's been out. Um, we we're looking to do one for. Other parts of the world, potentially, so the world. Yeah, for those who like me, saying world. There you go. Um, so yeah, thank <laughs> you very much. So the skies above: a guide to UFO sightings in the UK is available to pre-order from the first uh, or for the first of July. So you can get that now from any sites, but we'll put descriptions and information. And if you're not sure how to get it or where to get it from, if you just search for the skies above, and even put in McGrillin or Zetterstrom, you know, easy to spell names in Google, it comes up <laughs> with a whole host of sites from around the world already. So there you go. So thank you very much. But on to the breakdown and the the news we've got to, to cover. So I wanted to start off with a little bit of fallout from the UFO symposium last week. Very quick apology for me. In talking about the symposium, uh, I said that Tim Taylor was going to be there, which people thought was the Tim Taylor, Diana Pasilka wrote about in the Bledzos and stuff. I meant Travis Taylor of Skinwalker Ranch fame. Apologies, folks. I got a few messages <laughs> off that saying, oh, he's not listed. Do you know something we don't? No, no, I just misspoke. Um, the, the The big thing from the event and before the event was the release of the, the new video, um, which, which came out which the general consensus to be fair is from all of you listeners or most of you listeners and most folk online as it's more than likely birds my only issue with that and I said at the time total that's totally fair that's a very fair opinion to have is that surely those pilots would be able to identify three birds at a distance that they, they would be at and you know but then again maybe they they're, they're only human you know Given the subject we talk about, that's ironic. But you know that the pilots are only human, and maybe they did
0: misidentify it. Um, Dan, Uh, there there are some situations as well where, like uh, I think I mentioned a few a few episodes ago, a friend sent me a picture of. It looked like the plane was going straight up in the air, and he was like, "What plane is this?" And it just took a while to explain that it was kind of an optical illusion. And and I know what that feels like when you figure it out and you can't see how you previously saw it before, once your brain kind of knows how it all fits together. So yeah, it could well be birds um could well be something prosaic it's really hard to tell without the the raw video i i would hope they'd be able to identify them but of course there are going to be situations where these things appear strangely um with regards to the flapping there was a kind of comparison of the the targeting reticule on the on screen that was kind of Once you apply the sharpening, it looked like it was kind of flapping too, which obviously we know that targeting thing doesn't have wings. Um, So it just leads to a bunch more debate. And like I say, we we need the raw video. But for me, this wasn't really about it being an anomalous thing. It was more the general fact. And I think the debrief took this angle with it too, that there is a lot of footage internally in the u.s government in the various departments that they're having trouble explaining and there needs to be a lot more cooperation and liaison with each other to figure this stuff out i thought that was the overall point of it you know yeah the it's
1: department of homeland security and it was the border patrol filming this particular piece right. as as some of the other videos that came out like rubber duck and such were were from as well like generally drones filming drug runs and and things like that that have caught things on camera and i I don't feel the the debrief did hype this i think people confuse announcing with hyping um i'd be the first one to say about you know people hyping stuff but i i thought the debrief with if people read the article then they got the context, like you say, Dan, of why this was important and the uh, the Air Force officer, Air Force personnel that was on record anonymously um, speaking about the incidents and incidents like this and other footage. So for me, it goes down as a bit of a, hmm, it's just one to kind of file away in the folder, more than likely something potentially prosaic however there there's still some questions around it no one can say for a hundred percent either way that that is a bird or not or three birds because yeah we don't have that information but it's perfectly fair to have that have that opinion i'm not claiming it's alien spacecraft or anything as such but it's very hard to identify what it is dave falch uh who who's been on the podcast some time ago was part of that UFO symposium and he was presenting or his analysis was used to to talk about the video and other videos. And he did go through, and you can check out Dave Fulch's channel. Um again I'll put the link in description. Dan, can you make a note of that for us so I don't forget and get into trouble off people. Um he he kinda went through it quite quickly and had said himself why it wasn't birds and why it wasn't bugs and certain other things. And he he was quite happy that it was unexplainable for now. So Again, they're someone who who genuinely knows what they're talking about in terms of analysis of a video. So yeah, um, quick one, Dan, in ten words or less, uh, did this video help or
0: hinder? I think the presentation by some involved hindered. Uh, no one from the debrief, like you say, I that's think, more than ten. I know, 10. I know we're, we're more yeah. than ten. These are like sidebars. But I was but... I was doing that as you spoke. <laughs> I really just yeah, more yeah than 10 the fingers. Yeah, I think this video hindered. A little bit. Sorry, Andy. How's that?
1: <laughs> That's fine. I'll take that. So yeah, no, I, I agree that people aren't going to leak really good, genuine video footage to, to normal members of the public like this to, to to send out. You know, Chris Mellon's not getting a video and giving it to Andy and Dan from that UFO podcast to send out to the general public. If he wants to, he can. But I just feel there's better ways to do it. You know, like I, I, I 100% appreciate that. Um, So, yeah. So for me, it's one of those that I will always welcome anyone saying they've got footage to drop, but I will take it with a massive pinch of salt. I'll have a look at it, think about it, look at it again, and then make up my mind. But almost always, it's likely to fall into that category of "Ah, could be anything.
0: So, yeah, Yeah. we're we're looking at like this big pile of stuff now throughout history. I I think even if they prove this video was something anomalous, it would... Well, I mean, that would help, but th- there's no one video that's going to shift this. You know, when we're explaining this to officials and stuff like that, one video isn't going to do it, uh, at least from what we've seen. So I, I don't think that being released publicly is, is going to help too yeah. much, you know? One 23-minute video, mate.
1: But yes. anyway, that's that's one event that's happened and one that is happening as we speak this weekend uh, between the 3rd and 5th of June, uh, Dan has correctly noted down, is the SCU-sponsored uh, event, Anomalous Aerospace Phenomena Conference, AAPC 2022. I spoke to Rich Hoffman about this a few weeks ago on the podcast as well. Um, keynote speakers, Dan, you've noted down, Ryan Graves is discussing how the US government might increase the investigate, investigatory power behind UAP. And there's a whole host of interesting names out there already as well. I know Gary Voorhees was traveling, Eric Davis was traveling. I think a lot of the names and UFOs are putting their pictures and faces up on on Twitter and and meeting greets and all that kind of stuff. Looks a lot of fun uh, for, for people who are there as well. So these events are happening sort of more and more. And what's really interesting for me regarding these events is I think more and more we're seeing a split of Ancient aliens types events like awakening in Blackpool that we're going to attend. We're not part of it. You know, we're just, we're there. Uh, and I'm going to be speaking to Steve Mera about that on Monday and that type of event. But then you've got a very different type of event that happens almost totally separately, like SCUs or the events in San Marino. Um, the Galileo project has one in August. It's first annual, hopefully, hopefully um, event as well, where you have a real focus on the science and the data and that's the presentation it's not necessarily people talking about their their latest books or you know any maps they've got for sale that are number two in the amazon charts in the uk Joke. <laughs> um, but do you know it's that real split between we've got people really looking at this now and you can attend events and watch events and buy tickets to hear data and real scientific discussion or you can and it's totally fine you can look at that speculative side and you know what is the Black Knight satellite and are Palladian beings interfering with her genetic code for the last 5000 years and star seeds and all that kind of stuff, if that's what you like? So I think it's a great time in terms of what people can reach out and see if you're if you're into that real factual data driven side of things, it looks like it's a real golden age coming up for that. Because we've got mainstream science and scientists really now on board with the subject, which for me can only be a good thing and give people
0: give people choice and options as well. Yeah, 100%. We're, we're going to be seeing a lot more public efforts kind of coming out over the next few years. Uh, Ryan Graves is heading up um, a, a kind of, what was the event called? The The American, I think, Aeronautics Aviation. Association. It was something like that. There were a lot of A's I remember. Um, but basically Ryan Graves is one of the pilots that encountered these things. He's gonna be there pre- presenting all of his data and how we can kind of shore up air safety because that's the angle that we're talking about this from. Uh and, and like you said, we're gonna start seeing a lot of a lot of faces talking about this seriously. After the hearings, Ryan was mobbed in the halls of uh Congress by by all the press. So If you're looking at this subject in a serious manner, I'd suggest following people like Ryan, following events like this, and just seeing where the data takes us.
1: Here's a question, Dan, right? And this has just came to me, and I'd be interested to hear what listeners think on this one as well. So reach out via any of the means, social media, email, whatever, if you want to give us your thoughts on this. I'd be be intrigued. We saw recently that UAPX, a data-driven organization, looking to do the kind of scientific groundwork on UAP, joined up with Caroline Corey and her her presentation and her style of discussing the UFO subject. And there seemed to be a real clash of personalities and culture. uh, And just generally the subject kind of came to heads within one documentary. And I think we saw that in the end result, how it was two different things that weren't quite working together. Looking at the different types of conferences if you look at, and again, it's, it's one that's there just now, so you get any kind of disclosure conferences that Jimmy Church and co. will head up, you know, in the US um, or, or Awakening that's happening in Blackpool with the Ancient Aliens crew that are a massive, and that's not derogatory as it general, it's an Ancient Aliens based based uh, expo, folks, if you haven't seen this. Do those organisations and the expos have a place together? Would the SCU type event, you know, the AAPC, have a place in with Giorgio Tsoukalis and Eric von Daniken and co.? Or do they have to be kept apart?
0: For me, I wish... The one events I think over time are going to start steamrolling the other ones. As we get more data, there will be less speculation. That's just how it's going to go. And and when you kind of start getting to that place of less speculation, it kind of starts putting bumpers on the conversation. We can look at them as two different spaces, though, and kind of go one's for speculation and one's for hard science but I think that speculation needs to kind of intermingle with the hard science. So there it has, you know, it has a direction. So it's relevant. So we're not just essentially telling sci-fi stories to each other. I think someone
1: has to meme this, but I think, you know, Bill, uh, Bill Pullman in independence day when he's talking to the alien who has a scientist by the neck, who plays Brent Spiner, uh, Oh, Brent Spiner's his name plays Data. Sorry, in Star Trek, and he asks, "Can there be peace between our worlds?" And the aliens like, "No peace." And that just seems to me right now the, the two <laughs> organizations like, can, you know, can we get along? Nope. Two very different sides of the coin. But yeah, just, that just came to mind. So I'd be interested to see what people think. You know, could you have an event with real serious mainstream scientists on one side, but you know, across the hall, people talking about the origins of the Black Knight satellite and you know what's going on in Antarctica and again palladian beings and love and light starseed stuff like do, do those have to be kept separate it's probably an interesting conversation
0: I, mean, I i can tell you right now that i would i would pay good good money to go to a, a uap event where they talked about hard data but also mixed in scientists that are uncovering gobekli Tepe and all of those kind of ancient civilization stuff and you know it started drawing the story of our mysterious world together
1: yeah Maybe if it was done right, I'm thinking that UFO podcast, the Expo, would be something like that. Yeah, (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: I was so close. Anyway, um, did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. That's the number one. Or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Dan, Ross Coulthard on Jimmy Church. Now, I watched this the other day. Um, shout out to to Mr. Church for uh, his, his interview with Ross. Ross loves a long form answer, doesn't he? There were there were some doozies in there. My favourite being at one point when Jimmy said, "Ross, I have to go to an advert in fifteen seconds." Ross acknowledged this and spoke for one more minute. Um, but yeah, there was there was some real yeah, interesting Ross. yeah there was some real interesting talking points uh, Ross brought up. He says um, again, people he's spoken to sources have mentioned uh, in their skiffs, you know, the, these these meetings they're having, these briefs that they're seeing videos that are, are changing their world view. Um, then goes on to talk about the the 23 minute video which apparently we've heard all about shows is it hd and shows clear structured craft it's detected on multiple sensors and it's clearly a piece of technology this isn't you know ball lightning or an orb It's, it's something very much some things that are very much craft and sounds like if it was shown to people they do have these smoking gun videos that really would put some arguments not all arguments but some arguments to bed what did you
0: think on the the ross um ross Coulter interview on jimmy church i i really enjoyed it The the stuff that he speaks about that really interests me is when he was talking about objects being tracked coming in and out of the water off the coast of florida because we know that those kind of continental shelves are a place of just a lot of activity they're almost hot spots and and there's a possibility these things are coming from deep ocean and the reason we see them near the continental shelves is just that's because where they come up but i would love to see that underwater data we're just never going to because anything to do with the us's underwater detection systems is to do with submarines and then you get into just it's all classified it
1: is true and it's it's a cliche but we know so little about under our own oceans and we know much more about space don't we than than what we do under what's under the water and how things work and just as you d- dive into the earth are these objects using lava tunnels and tubes and what is underground and you know even if they're empty and, and drone technology are they being kept underneath the water because it's a safe place to store them it's it's a, it's a really interesting conversation um, and, and more and more people like Ross are bringing these conversations to the forefront uh, Ross talks about people having died and disappeared in engagements with UAPs brings up uh, Malmstrom and um, I liked his phrasing of always consider a stuff up before a cover up and very much going down the ineptitude route. And you know that people within government, people talk about, oh, the government cover things up. And no, the government are thousands of different organizations and offices and human beings at the end of the day that regardless of how nasty and bad and evil people may perceive them or, or think they are, there probably is just a lot more incompetence than anything else goes on. At, yeah. at the root of all these different conversations, not just the UFO topic, but but any kind of topic, and that's probably just as scary, if not more scary, than some of the truth that may eventually come out. Um, so that that was pretty interesting. That Ross says very much people he has spoken to have, have, have went with. You know what? There's a lot of cover-ups happen, but you know a lot of this is just down to people's own inability to to efficiently manage situations. Look at Roswell, where it was announced they'd found a US uh, an alien spacecraft, a UFO. And then the next day, actually, sorry, it's a weather balloon. There was, no, there was no process. There was no protocol for for what they'd found and what they'd done and had to make it up on the spot. Um, Ross Coulter says a friend of his, uh, he he gives the pseudonym the Spaceman, was friends with Edgar Mitchell. And they were talking about the Wilson documents for a while. And they said um, Admiral Thomas Wilson had found a secret program in the US government that was back engineering alien spacecraft. So, Ross Coulthard, I think, is someone that if you have your eggs in the Ross Coulthard basket and, and you believe Ross and his sources and methods, then you you can kind of take that one to the bank then that he's got a source saying, yeah, Admiral Wilson did indeed discuss this. And Ross Coulthard very much believes the documents themselves are are 100% genuine and real and do document the conversation that they, they think. I think we've talked about this before, Dan, and I don't want to announce too much, um, but coming up, I'll have a bit of a discussion on the wilson docs nothing major folks it's not chris millen or tom delong coming on before folks got all excited but um i'm going to be having a little discussion with someone on those documents and doing a little bit of a deep dive and background into it what what again dan do you think on the wilson davis memo as it's now being entered into record when those hearings i'm I'm really curious
0: where this is going to go because Mm. the right people have it who can check it now before we we all kind of came up against walls, you know, we we had a, a denial from Wilson in in several instances. We had some kind of little seeds that Wilson might have been lying and and maybe knew, or that you know the, these documents go back a long time. Richard Dolan even said that he knows for a fact that Hal Putoff can vouch for them, mm-hmm. and he said this on on a live stream. So there's a, there's a bit of history to these documents through a lot of uh, you know well respected people in the UFO world. So it's clear that this is kind of being revealed after years of many, many people having these documents already. So I'm I'm excited to see how that chain of custody was maintained because I just think that we're going to be surprised when we see that certain other people have had access to these. I'd be very surprised if, um, you know, People like Chris Mellon hadn't read the Wilson documents, for instance, and and that kind of would play into these articles that he's writing, where he's directing attention to certain places. You know, I won't say too much because we're going to talk about that in a bit.
1: You you um you make it you make a good point now and again, Dan. Um, you,
0: you made something you
1: said <laughs> made me think there that the the people who now have these documents, or at least that the documents are entered into the the public uh, domain congressional record congressional record that okay. was the one sorry all it takes now is like uh, the representatives like uh, was it was mike gallagher and you know andre carson and these folks they don't necessarily have to come out and tell the public you know these are definitely real because we've found it out but like you say they know the right people that they can go and ask uh, in a secure setting and say look these documents i need to know is this correct and and they could just get the nod, couldn't they? They they might not get any
0: more information yeah. than that. I mean, they,
1: essentially just, yeah, you know what? Go for Yeah, you're right. Yeah. They are.
0: They, they might get the same treatment that Wilson himself is said to have gotten when he went hunted for the program, which I imagine if, you know, Gallagher has the door slammed in his face, I can't imagine he's going to back down and go, okay, that's fine then. <laughs> he's he's going to come out swinging publicly and pointing, I think. You know, if Tom DeLonge could talk about all those different stovepipes he was finding, and you know,
1: not knocking down all those doors, then I'm sure someone, an elected official, and Mike Gallagher, and or anyone who's who wants to go knocking on those doors, has a lot more chance of finding out more
0: information even than a Tom DeLong. Absolutely, and and these are the people who are supposedly right in the immunity language, uh, as alluded to by Gary Nolan. So they know the people that they need to get into those halls. They know the people they need to testify they know the laws they need to make to get those people or to give those people the best chance of coming to testify. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's where we see it go now. Just before, cause it's probably if a
1: good point we we're going to talk about that immunity language briefly anyway, with Gary Nolan, but just before we do one last thing that was really interesting. And I would encourage folks to check out fade to black, um, especially this interview with uh, Jimmy Church and Ross Coulter. Um, Ross does most of the talking as he, he tends to do on those interviews. Um, the, Ross says that they know the signals that allow them to track and protect where these things have go, are going to be and have done for decades so again I wonder that again when they send out the, the Nimitz and Princeton and that fleet to go and do their, their no doubt planned uh, training exercises do they have a, an eye on what may or may not turn up because they're expecting these things to turn up and that's not to say the people within the exercise do but those watching the exercise those that are aware of it people monitoring you know nuclear ballistic missile bases that are up and down the coast are they told look we've got some stuff going on out here let's just keep an eye on the keep an eye on the radar keep an eye on this keep an eye on this system because we may see some
0: i don't know some bogies as they say in the movies. i don't know absolutely it doesn't matter if it's china if it's russia if it's something from space these things would be tracked they'd keep an eye on them like jeremy corbell pointed out in a great video he brought up yesterday they said that they think they're drones they didn't say who they think they belong to so who are the controllers there there's such a lack of answers here where we need answers to be a bit more secure and and yeah a couple of
1: things probably tie in quite nicely then dan actually Uh, you've mentioned again jeremy corbell's statement and and chris Mellon said something very similar Again, before we get to that, let's talk about that immunity language. Gary Nolan speaking to Vinny on Disclosure Team podcast recently as well. Um it mentioned this that essentially he he is working on well, you you can probably explain it better than I can. I've not managed to catch Gary yet on on Vinny's podcast, but
0: what's been happening in terms of this language? Basically, Gary, Gary I mean, he I think he did it on on when you spoke to him too. It cleared up the difference between immunity and uh, amnesty amnesty yeah and and basically we need immunity we need to be able to say to these officials you know hey you can speak outside the bounds of your nda without fearing that we're going to throw you in jail there's also been some talk around you know that you you need to kind of sweeten the pot to get these people to talk but at the same time you need to draw a line and kind of say after this date if you don't talk we're coming for you (laughs) you know that kind of thing so that that language is being finished up i'm sure we'll see it in the next set of legislation hopefully that's sooner rather than later. But like Gary said, it is being worked on. So this is going to be a possibility going forward that we might see some people that work with Lou coming forward to talk. We might see, you know, we, we have people coming out of the woodwork all the time. Recently, we had Jay Stratton kind of named and and so he had a heavy involvement. Maybe he would have spoken sooner if he had immunity. You know, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, it's kind of opening the door a little bit and saying to folk, you know, if you want to
1: come at the party, feel free to come in now, but the door's going to close at some point and you're no longer welcome but you won't like the after party. That's, that's where they're kind of going with with them. Uh, Chris Mellon had an article upon the Hill, and he mentioned um, essentially that after the hearings, he was disappointed. I know myself and I think yourself, Dan, we were more positive about the outcome of the hearings because there was some interesting languages. Some of the questions I found were, were interesting as well. A couple of those... Um, representatives made themselves, you know, come across very well and knowledgeable on the subject too, even if they were just given a list of the questions to ask by other people. Um, Chris Mellon himself said that there were several key points that could have been addressed, but were not essentially addressed. However, it was progress nonetheless. Ultimately, it was his, his main thing from the article, and he expects more hearings to happen soon, or they could happen soon. You mentioned Jeremy Corbell talking about one of the points that Chris Mellon made too was regarding these drones. And the idea that, yeah, there were they were, they were drones that were buzzing the Russell and the Omaha and these other ships. But whose drones? Did you find out they were Russian? Did you find out they were Chinese? Um, I think one of the big things at the minute, and not to get political, but the, the war in Ukraine has shown that the Russian arsenal for weapons is depleted and nowhere near as outstanding as people thought it could be that's not to say they don't have some impressive technology and drones that maybe just aren't fit for the purpose of fighting a war but for that kind of espionage and you know spying I'm sure the US, China, Russia and other countries have some fantastic pieces of equipment however Chris Mellon again brings up have you addressed that if these are an adversarial technology how are they loitering and how are they in the area for as long as they are and how are they doing the things they are doing for as long as they are And I'm sure Chris Mellon's talking from a place of being aware, probably what the US has in terms of that technology, probably aware 20 years ago or 30 years ago of what the US was working on in terms of that technology, because that was his job and where it would be now. And Chris Mellon's looking, going, that doesn't fit the timeline of where the technology should be. So where have they got this from? And I think that's Chris Mellon's point that we're not saying that these are, again, non-human entities or you know alien spacecraft or whatever but they certainly don't seem to fit the mold of what we would expect from our
0: own let alone adversarial technology yeah Yeah, this is the thing about this kind of centrist UAP position that we take, so to speak, you know, that we're not in the extremes. We're not kind of seeing a light in the sky and going, they're Pleiadians. We're not seeing a light in the sky and going, everyone's an idiot. It's a plane or a satellite. We're squarely in the middle where we want the data to lead the conversation. And I know that kind of annoys some people, but that's where we are. That's what we have. We've had decades of talking about stories and looking at grainy photographs and things like that. Now we need something more robust. And as our kind of species is growing up and starting to look outwards um we'll talk about that in a little bit but it seems that the conversation is shifting to to the questions as opposed to just the being satisfied with it's drones like you said who's drones sure it might not be russian but if a group of people in russia found something 50 years ago they could easily have you know be a group of 10 scientists that have their essentially own breakaway civilization, and technically it's still Russian. So we kind of need to keep all these things on the table until we figure them out. But for now, it's clear that these are devices of unknown origin, and that's worth investigating.
1: 100%, yeah. Dan, um, from the database to the slightly more speculative, however... Nonetheless, we've got some data on it. Um, you mentioned a while back you were going to be partaking in Simeon Hines' remote viewing course, and you have you have done said course or doing
0: said course, aren't you? Uh, uh, I have had some results. Finished now, okay? Yeah, finished. So, so we did five classes over five weeks. There were participants from all around the world. Thank you so much for Simeon for that. And me come along. Everyone was wonderful and supportive and compassionate, and it, it's really nice to find a group of introspective people uh because we always talk to each other a little bit differently. Um. So yeah, we, we got to do a class on kind of essentially the history of RV and essentially and actually practicing it and being taught the practice of, of it, which was controlled remote viewing or resonant remote viewing. They mean slightly different things. But basically, depending on where you study it, you get a different technique. And it was very surprising to me. We'll, we'll do a deeper dive on this because I think it's worth talking about because yeah. there are a lot of misconceptions. But it is not telepathy. You are not sat there. You do not get, you know, movies in your head. The the people who talk about these kind of things, like Ingo Swan, they were the rock stars of this. They mm. they were the people like Usain Bolt, that were just born to do the thing that they're doing. For the rest of us, it takes work. But I would highly recommend doing it because the thing that surprised me was how much it helped with kind of mindfulness and and mental health, listening to that very quiet voice in your head. And by that I don't mean the subconscious, you kind of go deeper than that. It's like listening to you know, imagine you're at a football match and there's one person saying something you want to hear, but they're on the other side of the, the pitch to you and you, you're trying to zero in on it and it just takes practice and, and a little patience. But there were some amazing results, uh, some, some to do with uh, layers of age. At one point, I had a sense of layers of age and I wrote down there it was a, a tree because I kind of had a sense of, of wood, but it turned out that it was a bit of wood kind of set against a cliff face that had the layers of age in it. So this is where I mean when I say that you can be wrong whilst being correct. It's not as easy as, you know, what's in the drawer? I'd hidden something in there. Tell me there's a lot to discuss. And that's why they kind of stick with adjectives. We'll, We'll talk through the kind of the phase work and stuff like that when we talk about it more. But for now, I'd say if you're practicing RVing, a few tips would be that anything that comes into your head after three seconds, after the prompt, throw it away that's your brain thinking that's a that's an overlay you know that's going to be stuff like if I get a sense of something round, my brain's going to start going, it's a tire, it's a globe. It's, you, you know, anything circular is going to try and fill that in. So just throw mm-hmm. that away. It's more like automatic writing than it is like consciously drawing. You know, I do art, so I, I kind of, you know, realize the difference uh, a lot closer to automatic writing. Um, and yeah, my mindfulness and, and kind of a lot of synchronicity comes from it. It's very interesting. I would highly recommend people take it. Even if you don't think it's going to give you access to remote viewing powers, I'll put in or abilities um it's well worth doing just to get to know yourself a little bit more awesome
1: can you put down that we'll put
0: the link for some simian's um course in there and again if you want to get in touch for for anyone that wants to kind of have a look at that it is virtualviewing.org but the link will be in the description
1: and check out the interviews I've done with Sim There's a few of them now from the last two years On the podcast and he's a great guy Really good to speak to, really interesting And uh, there's some other remote viewers have been on the podcast as well If you're interested in that topic um, Yeah, we'll do that deep dive anyway to cover that for folks But again, thanks for to Sim for, for letting Dan go along And take part in the course And I, I know, like I say, Dan said there But speaking to myself about it, he has found it really useful So, awesome A um, couple of things to finish up with, Dan uh, James Webb, on the 12th of July I believe we are expecting our first full color pictures uh, and what to expect. We've already had some pretty startling and astonishing images from the the calibrations and the alignments of the mirrors, where they've just got clearer and clearer. And yeah. we're now going to get those. I mean, the basically the telescope's been pointing at an area of space, hasn't it? As it's travelled out, and we're going to get all that information gathered together and get. What can we expect to see? Like, are we talking about you know that famous Hubble Deep Field image? Are we talking that you level of picture?
0: Exactly. So one, there, there are a couple of things we could see first. It's either going to be the Hubble Deep Field image, but James Webb Telescope's equivalent, or it's going to be some data from Trappist One. Now, Trappist One is really interesting because it's it's kind of a, a colder star, a smaller star than than our sun but it has a whole bunch of planets around it that are in the Goldilocks zone that could harbor life. So we're going to be looking towards that solar system to try and get a little bit more information about the atmosphere of all of those different planets. And it'll help us kind of narrow down where we think life is possible because they're similar conditions to here. So there should be water there. There should be various other things there. We're not going to get a zoom in on the surface because that's just not what this telescope does. But you know, we'll we'll see an immense amount of detail uh chemically that we just haven't seen before with with the Hubble Deep Field image, just to set expectations, remember that the James Webb telescope can't see space dust it sees through it, so when we're looking at things like the pillars of creation and thinking of images from space like that, the James Webb telescope literally wouldn't be able to see that. it would just see the stars there giving off the the infrared and various things like that but yeah we we have thirty eight days to go. Um, depending on your time zone and when you listen to this. But like you say, J- July 12th is when we'll see those first images and I, I fully expect to be overwhelmed and staring at the screen yelling, oh my God, it's full of stars. Yeah,
1: it's it's an interesting one. Very much looking forward to what comes out from that and what the, the, the James Webb is going to be capable of going forward as well. I think the early indications have been that it has outperformed all expectations, hasn't it? And even in yeah. those calibrations, the... They weren't expecting it to go as well as it has, which is fantastic. So Yeah, it's amazing. We forward to what's going to come
0: from it. We won't see the results of whether there is the potential to harbor life from Trappist One until about twenty twenty four. So this really is just, hey, look at the pretty picture, folks. It's not going to be a lot of scientific conversation. But like we saw with the calibration image, it was so good that it generated peer reviewed papers. So we'll probably get that from it. But just wait for the pretty picture, basically. Awesome, and just finishing up, Dan,
1: uh, a little bit on geomagnetic atmospheric sound phenomenon, which I'm yeah. sure
0: everyone is familiar with. <laughs> so this is really interesting. I only discovered it this week. It's it's been around for ages. They used to call it the aurora sound phenomenon, and there were a lot of reports of people hearing sounds from the atmosphere in the air when they saw the Northern Lights. There was something in the paper that I thought that made me feel that I should bring it up here because it's relevant. Uh, so this week. They have confirmed that they exist, that they're nothing to do with the aurora, that actually it's uh, the geomagnetic kind of uh, effects on the, the planet's atmosphere that generate these sounds. So it makes me think of, you know, the trumpet sounds that you can watch on YouTube and, and uh, people mm-hmm. think that it's the biblical kind of, you know, revelations. And, yeah. and actually we've now learned that you can just get sound generated in the air. But what what they said a while back, uh, and this is a direct quote from the paper, that many geophysicists from around the globe would fix their opinion. And there's a few quotes, auroral sounds are illusions. They are physically impossible. Does this sound like anything else to you? <laughs> physically impossible, it's an illusion, and they've just proved that it exists. For any scientists that are listening to this that, that think that the world is a, a known and fixed quantity, you are wrong. You should have curiosity, and we should be finding phenomena like this because it's just... It's interesting and it's explaining things to us that we didn't realize were possible.
1: Well, Dan, we've recorded this on Saturday evening here in the UK. It's Jubilee weekend, so lots of folks are out and about uh, and working away. I appreciate your time, Dan, because you've got another meeting going on later on this evening. I'm going to get back in and spend a little bit of time with the family so we'll keep this one relatively short for us at 40 minutes thank you very much everyone for listening again i appreciate everyone who has even just had a look at the skies above a guide to ufo sightings in the uk and um, please if you want to check that out do pick up a copy pre-order a copy use herblester.com to pre-order that or any bookseller you can find online that you you choose to would be much appreciated for yourself or for friends and family as a gift Um, very much look forward to seeing people with their copies when it comes out as well be pretty surreal. But yeah, Dan, thank well, you very yeah. much for your time.
0: Thank you. I'm just gonna throw one more thing in here. Uh Dr. Michael Masters released his new book, uh, The Extra Tempestrial Model. So if you're interested in a discussion on on time travelers and all the different forms that could take, go pick that book up. It's on it's uh bookshops now. I had already paused the recording Dan so that never picked up. Oh no,
1: fine. No, cool. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I just like to I just like to leave it on a laugh. Right. Speaks in jokes. <laughs>